0: Well, today we're concluding our message series, Experience God's Power. And in this series, we've looked at the power of the Holy Spirit performing miracles. And we see that in the pages of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. And the same Holy Spirit that was active back then is still alive and still active today. Any lack of supernatural miracles that we may experience in our lives is not today is not due to God's reluctance. It's not due to God no longer having the power. A lack of miracles is always shown in the Bible to be a result of a people's lack of faith. And I trust that as we've gone through this series, experienced God's power and looked at the different miracles, that your faith in God to work miracles in your life and in the lives of those around you has increased, that your faith has grown. Our message today is entitled, Who Will You Bring to Jesus? Now, oftentimes when we talk about miracles, we are tempted to think about ourselves and think, well, you know, do I need a miracle or not? If we're in trouble in some area of our life, we say, yes, I need a miracle. Otherwise, you know, we think, well, things are going pretty good. I I really don't need a miracle today, so I'm just kind of going to tune out. This is not applying to me. But did you know that there are people all around you who need miracles in their lives. There are people that you know, there are people that you work with, there are people that you live next to that need miracles in their lives. If you're aware of somebody else who needs a miracle in their life, they have a great need, then God has given you the responsibility of bringing that person to Jesus so that their need can be met, so that they can receive their miracles. For you see, you and I aren't just responsible for ourselves. We are responsible for the people around us that God has put us into their lives. We are responsible for our neighbors, whoever they may be, workmate, schoolmate, neighbor, actually on the block, whoever they may be. And so we are responsible to be a channel of God's power to the people around us through the Holy Spirit. Now in Luke chapter 14, Jesus told a parable, a parable about a great banquet. And in this parable, the master who was going to give the banquet sent out his servant to invite people to come to the great banquet. But when the, master, when the servant invited people to come to the banquet, all the people that were invited, they, they gave excuses. They said, well, I can't come because I've just bought this piece of property and I, I need to take care of it. I can't come because they gave all kinds of excuses why they couldn't come to the banquet. And so I'd like us to look at the master's response. Now, uh, in the middle of your bulletin is a white page. I'd encourage you to take it out. It has the verses written out as well as the outline of the message on the back, or study questions, and you can do these on your own uh, in your daily Bible study and prayer time. Uh, We also, many of the life groups are also using those as discussion guides in the life group meetings as well. Luke 14, verse 21, it says, so the servant came back and reported this to his master, the fact that people weren't responding, but giving all kinds of excuses to the invitation." It says, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Now, of course, in this parable, the master represents God or Jesus And we are his servants. So why did the master instruct his servant to bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? Those were the people with the greatest need. Those were the people who needed a miracle. Those were the people who knew that they needed a miracle. Those who were initially invited had better things to do. They didn't need what the master was offering. They didn't need, they felt, to come to this great banquet. They didn't have any need for a miracle. And so what's the point? Well, the point is that God wants you. God wants you as his servant. God wants me to bring people who need a miracle to Jesus. He wants us to go out to those who have great needs, those that we know in our lives, those that we have contact with, those that we have influence with. And bring them into the great banquet, bring them to meet Jesus so that he can meet those needs. Now, in order for us to bring people to Jesus so that they can receive a miracle from him, we need to have faith. We need to believe, first of all, that God can work miracles today. And secondly, we need to believe that God will work miracles when we bring people to him. Now, what is the greatest miracle? We're going to talk about that today. The greatest miracle that God can give to a person is the miracle of salvation, that their sins are forgiven, that they have eternal life, that they're going to spend life forever with God. That's the greatest miracle. But God also wants to bring miracles of healing, miracles of deliverance to those in great need as well. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at God's word, and I want each one of us to think Who can I bring to Jesus? Who does God want me to bring to Jesus? Who do I know that needs to meet Jesus? Who do I know that has a great need that Jesus can meet? Specific people in your life, be thinking about that this morning. Because God wants each of us to bring others to Jesus. Our story begins in Luke chapter 5 verse 17. It says, one day Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And so in Jesus' ministry, as we see outlined in these verses, Jesus did basically two things. First of all, he taught God's truth. And secondly, he met the needs of people. He displayed God's power in healing. And just about every circumstance in Jesus' life, he was either doing one or the other or both, teaching people and healing people. That's what Jesus did. And our story begins with Jesus teaching people who'd heard of him. In fact, his fame, his reputation was spreading for two reasons. First of all, because he was teaching in a a very authoritative way, in a way that people weren't used to hearing they wanted to hear what he taught. And secondly, he was healing people. And there were sick people who needed to be healed. And so people were coming from all around to see and hear Jesus. And Luke tells us that in this occasion, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And Jesus had the power to heal people through the power of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Trinity that actually does the healing and so today we're going to learn about bringing other people to Jesus, bringing others so that they can learn from him, number one, and secondly, be healed by him. Now, bringing others to Jesus involves caring about other people. Verse 18 Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, we know from a parallel account in another gospel, actually, Mark chapter 2, there were four men, and these four men were carrying a mat on which their friend, a paralyzed man, was. The man obviously could not walk, and so he was being carried. Now, these friends were carrying the paralytic because they cared about him. I mean, is it something you just go out every day, like, I think I'll carry somebody, you know, several miles on a mat. It's just how I have fun. No, I don't think so. They did it because they cared about this guy. It was not an easy thing to do. They had compassion for him. We see many times in the scripture that Jesus has compassion on people with needs. These friends cared about people. We need to care about people. They cared about him so much that they called each other, got together, and carried him to the house where Jesus was teaching. You see, these, these four friends were not coming for themselves. They weren't paralyzed. They were coming for their friend. He was the one that really needed the touch from Jesus. He was the one that needed a miracle in his life. And not only did these four friends come, they also had to overcome some obstacles. Some obstacles, For their friend, Verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. You see they wanted to bring their friend to Jesus. So Jesus could could do a miracle. They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Right in front of Jesus. Now the roofs in those days were normally made of wooden beams. And overlaid on the beams were thatch and clay. Usually, but in this case, there were tiles. This might have been the house of a perhaps wealthier person because apparently a lot of people were inside. In the little houses that the average person lived in, there was hardly room for just a few people, and there was a crowd of people here. So this was probably a house of a wealthy person. The roof was a little fancier. It had tiles between the wooden beams. But can you imagine the scene? The four men came carrying this paralytic on a mat, The crowd was, uh, the house was full of people pouring out the front door. They couldn't get in at all. Now, in those days, usually there was a staircase outside the house that went up on the roof. Oftentimes people would go on the roof to be cooler uh, out of the confines of the house. And so they went up on the roof and underneath was Jesus teaching in the crowd of people. And so what did they do? You realize this was not their house. It was somebody else's house. They laid the man, the uh, paralyzed man on the mat down, and they began to dig through the tiles on the roof. And as they dug, you see, to lower a man on a mat through a roof, that's a big hole. I mean, it's not a little hole. It's a big hole. And as they began to dig through it, what was happening below? The crowd is looking up and pieces of tile are falling on their heads as Jesus is teaching them. And I'm sure there were people in the crowd saying, what are you doing? Stop it. You're destroying the roof of this house. And the four men continued to dig. And tear apart the tiles until they had a hole big enough to lower a grown man on a mat down, I would guess with ropes, down at the feet of Jesus. These four friends were determined to overcome any obstacle to bring their friend to Jesus. And so they lowered him down and he ended up right in front of Jesus. And so this story really is a powerful example of of bringing somebody to Jesus. It took effort. It took strength. It took endurance. It took overcoming a huge obstacle to get this paralytic in front of Jesus. And most likely, it involved financial costs. Who do you think had to pay to get the roof repaired? It was these four guys. And of course they knew it. I mean, the Bible, I'm just using logic here. The, they knew somebody was going to have to pay for that roof, but they didn't care. They wanted to get him to Jesus because money could not cure this man. No doctor could cure this paralytic. Only Jesus could. But it was worth it for for them to do what they did. And so how can you and I bring people to Jesus. Jesus isn't physically here anymore. He ascended up into heaven 40 days after he rose from the dead. He's not here. How can we bring people to Jesus? And so to answer that question, we need to ask another question. Where is Jesus present today on this earth? Jesus is present on this earth through the Holy Spirit in believers. If you're a believer this morning, Jesus is present in your life through his spirit. Jesus is present in his church. The Bible calls it The body of Christ, the body of believers, as we gather together, Jesus is here among us. Why? Because, not just because we're a crowd, you could have a crowd of people, none of them were believers and Jesus wouldn't be present. It's not just because there's a crowd, it's because it's believers gathering together. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst. And so Jesus is among us in a special way as believers come together. And so you bring people to Jesus either by If you're a believer personally introducing him to them or by bringing them into the church, the body of Christ, the Bible says it's the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside each and every believer, and the Holy Spirit dwells in the body of Christ in a special way as we come together. And when you seek to bring somebody to Jesus, guess what? There are going to be obstacles. It's not an easy task. And perhaps you've already figured that out. There's a lot of obstacles. It may seem impossible to get a person to come to Jesus, to get a person interested in Jesus, to get a person to even acknowledge they have a need of Jesus in their life. And why is that? Because there's an enemy. His name is Satan, and he's going to throw up every roadblock that he possibly can to prevent you from bringing somebody else to Jesus. And so it's going to cost you a lot to bring somebody to Jesus. It's going to cost you in time. It's going to cost you in emotion. It's going to cost you in strength. And it might even cost you financially. But it's worth it. As we'll see in this story and in our own lives as well, it's worth it. And so as we go on with our story, keep thinking about that question. Who does God want me to bring to Jesus? Who am I going to bring to Jesus? Ask God to lay specific people on your heart. Make a list. These are the people God wants me to bring to Jesus. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to happen in a week. It may take months. It may take years, but it's worth it. People need miracles. People need a spiritual miracle in their life if they're not a believer. People need physical miracles in their lives. Many people need healing. Did you know that doctors today with all of modern medicine cannot cure every disease? There are many things that doctors can't cure. People need miracles. They need a touch from God. Calvin mentioned our plus one challenge today. It's about bringing people to Jesus. God using you to bring somebody into the church family, into the body of Christ. God can use each and every one of us as we pray and as we work together. And when you bring someone to Jesus, you need to believe God for a miracle. Our story continues in verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. And so let's go back to the scene that has just happened The four men have dug this hole in the roof. They've lowered the man down. He's lying in front of Jesus. Now, where are the four men? They're still on the roof, right? They're peering through the hole down below. So Jesus looks up and he sees their faith. It's plural. It doesn't say that Jesus saw his faith, the paralytics. He saw their faith. I think it refers to all five men. The four friends and the paralytic, they all had faith. They had faith in Jesus to work a miracle. They had faith that Jesus could do something for this paralytic for whom no doctor had a cure. And so you would think that Jesus would immediately heal the man. But that's not what happens. Jesus wants to teach us that the most important miracle is to believe God first and foremost for a miracle of salvation. That's the most important miracle. You If somebody is healed in their body, even though it's a great healing, and they're not healed in their soul, they're not saved, they're going to die and go to hell just as if they were never healed. The most important miracle is the miracle of salvation. Verse 20 and 21, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so when Jesus saw that the five men, they all had faith, he spoke to the paralytic and told him that his sins were forgiven. To have your sins forgiven is to be saved. And what does it mean to be saved? To be saved is to be saved from having to pay the penalty for our sins, which the Bible says is eternal death. That's what we're saved from. And so Jesus met the paralytic's most important need. The paralytic had faith in him. The paralytic had a need for salvation, and Jesus forgave his sins. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law reasoned within themselves. They said only God can forgive sins. And they were Right? They were exactly right. Only God can forgive sins. But then they leapt to, the, leapt to the conclusion that since Jesus, obviously, in their mind, was just an ordinary man, that he was blaspheming. He was claiming to be God. He was claiming to do something that no human being could do. And that, of course, was a wrong conclusion because Jesus was not just an ordinary man. Jesus was God. He had the authority and the power to forgive sins. And so Jesus was going to demonstrate his authority as the paralytic and his friends believed for a miracle of healing. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they, speaking of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And so first of all, Jesus knew the internal thoughts of the Pharisees. The Holy Spirit allowed him to know what they were thinking. If you want to speak of a gift of the Spirit, it would be a word of knowledge. He knew what they were thinking without them saying anything. And what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees is basically, you know, you guys are thinking it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that. Uh, Because you can't see sins being forgiven. That's something that happens inside. You just can't see whether it's happened or not. Anybody can say it and it could mean absolutely nothing. There's no outward sign or evidence. And so Jesus wanted to provide evidence that he indeed had the power to forgive sins. He was going to do something that was tangible evidence of the power of God operating in and through his life. Jesus was going to heal this paralytic. This man who hadn't been able to walk for a very long time, this man for whom doctors had no cure, he was going to get up and walk. And this healing would be a result of the faith of these five men who had brought their friend to Jesus, believing for a miracle. So let's think a little more deeply about these four friends. They cooperated together, did they not? Somebody had to call, you know, Jim had to call Joe, who had to call Jack, who had to call Mark, to get them together to, we're going to take our friend today. We've heard Jesus is in town, we're going to take him. They had to cooperate physically, uh, getting together, carrying their friend to the house where Jesus was teaching. They had to overcome obstacles together. They had to dig through the roof together. They had to lower him down together. They believed God together. Each of them had faith. Jesus saw their faith. They were people of faith. They were believing for a miracle for their friend. They all worked together. They all believed together to see the miracle come to pass. And probably too often, we seek to bring people to Jesus all by ourselves. That's not an easy task. We need to work with other believers to bring people to Jesus. We need to cooperate with others. We need to pray together with others to bring people to Jesus. Pray for divine wisdom in working with others that you know, other believers, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your life group, in the church, to bring both the unsaved, those who need Jesus for the first time, and even those who are saved who need a miracle in their life. They need healing, physical healing, Emotional healing through Jesus Christ. You know, every service we have prayer down in front for people to be saved, for people to be healed, for people to be filled with the Spirit. This area should be full every Sunday, and not just one or two. We all know people that need God's touch. We've seen many healings in the past. You believe that if you bring someone that God will touch him as we pray for them. Let's believe God and pray that God will move in divine power through our prayers for those who need a miracle. His miracles demonstrate Jesus' power. Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so now Jesus was going to demonstrate to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the whole crowd that he had authority to forgive sins. He commanded the paralytic to to get up, which he couldn't do if he was paralyzed, to take his mat up and to go home. And what do you think was going through the paralytic's mind when he heard Jesus' command to get up? I mean, the paralytic had to make a decision. Was he going to get up or not? He hadn't gotten up in years. He thought, I can't get up. I'm just going to lay here. I can't get up. But he got up. He obeyed Jesus' command. He tried to get up, and lo and behold, his legs were working again. And he was able to stand up for the first time in many, many years. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had healed the man's paralysis. This miracle was visible. Everybody could see it. Tangible evidence that demonstrated Jesus' power. And what was the result of the healing of the paralytic? Well, the miracle recipient, the paralyzed man, praised God. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. The paralytic obeyed Jesus' instructions, standing up. He obeyed Jesus' instruction to the T. He picked up his mat. He didn't leave it laying there, and he went to his home, and along the way, he praised God. He praised God that his sins had been forgiven. He praised God that he had been physically healed. And so the result of this healing, the result of this miracle was praise to God by the man who was healed himself. God was glorified through the miracle. And so when God genuinely heals somebody, the result is going to be they're going to praise God. They're going to give glory to God for what he has done. And not only did the miracle result in the recipient or the paralyzed man praising God, but the miracle observers praised God. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And so the crowd that was there, that had come to to see or to hear Jesus teach, They also saw the healing miracle and they were amazed and they also began to praise God. And so the faith of the four friends had not only impacted the paralytic, he'd been saved, he'd been healed, he was praising God, but their faith now had impacted the whole crowd. The whole crowd was now praising God. And so when God's power is released through faith in a miracle, it's evidence that the power of the Holy Spirit is working. Miracles are often referred to in scripture as signs and wonders. Uh, Here we see they filled the people with awe, with wonder. Remarkable things have happened. I mean, this is not something you see every day. Secondly, so miracles are wonders. Miracles are also signs. A sign points to something. And what did this miracle point to? It pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the one who had healed the man. It pointed to God and so they praised God for what had been done through Jesus Christ. Whenever we see explosive church growth, when, when many people are truly saved, there's, there is usually an accompanying demonstration of God's miracle-working power, of the Holy Spirit working in miracles. As we read through the book of Acts, we see a close correlation between people being saved and God working miracles. The miracles are a result and also a cause of people coming to Jesus Christ. We see the same thing happening around the world today. We call the phenomenon of people being saved and miracles being done, we call it revival. Revival breaking out. In all revivals, we see people praying for and people bringing people to Jesus. What America needs today is revival. We need revival. In the Assemblies of God, there's about 3 million believers, Assemblies of God, in the United States of America. Around the world, there's another 70 million. Why? Because revival is breaking out all across the world. We need revival here in America. We need revival in St. Louis, do we not? We need God to move in our city. And so... We need to get rid of our doubts. We need to begin to believe God, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God can work and wants to work miracles in our lives. Miracles in the lives of people around us. Miracles in our city of St. Louis. Miracles in the year 2016. And how is it going to happen? It's going to happen as we pray and as we take action as we pray, and as we bring people to Jesus. If these four friends had left the paralytic laying on his mat in his little house, would we be talking about it today? If they'd left him laying on that mat, would he have been healed? Would he have been saved? Probably not. They took action. They prayed, and they took action. And so we need to pray. Who... Can I bring to Jesus? Who is God laying on my heart? Who has a need in their life? Who is not saved? Who has a physical need? Who has an emotional need? Bring people to Jesus. It's one of the top priorities for every believer's life. Who can we bring to Jesus? Next Sunday, we're going to begin a new message series called Living in the Spirit. And we're going to learn a lot more about the Holy Spirit and his power. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we really can't be the kind of witnesses that God calls us to be without the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that's why so many Christians are frustrated with witnessing frustrated with the lack of spiritual power in their lives. And so we're going to talk about how to receive more of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives so that you and I can experience the miracles that we've been talking about in this series. So I encourage you to make sure to come next Sunday for our new series, Living in the Spirit, and invite a friend. Now, as we said, the most important miracle in a person's life is that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they're saved from the results of their sin. And to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need first of all to admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. And finally, you need to commit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. So I'd like to encourage you to bow your heads right now. And we're going to pray. If you've never Pray a prayer like this in your life, or you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today I admit that I've done wrong things, I've sinned, and I know it. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took the penalty for my sin upon himself, and paid the price that I might be forgiven. forgive my sins, come into my life. I commit myself to following you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you rose from the dead and you are now seated at the right hand of God as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I commit myself to following you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, pray, amen.